Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest of honor, Bishop Dr. John Brown Masinde. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, all protocol observed. It's with much delight that I welcome you all to the eighth session of the Inspire Conference. Inspire 2012 Conference is a motivational conference organized by a coalition of dynamic and enlightened professionals with zeal to uphold excellent work ethics and service delivery. Its major purpose is to challenge and equip professionals to stand out as excellent leaders in, this, in their areas of influence. In the last seven years, this conference has attracted and motivated more than 2,000 professionals, and it continues to bring change in the lives of the professionals for the global marketplace. This coalition is a, a joint effort of young workers and professionals from five churches, Watoto, uh, Full Gospel, All Saints, uh, Bugolobi Church of the Resurrection, and Deliverance Church, Makere Hill, who believe that if one can chase a thousand, then two can chase 10,000. This symposium was started with an aim to equip young workers and professionals and business people through motivating and inspiring them to unleash their unique greatness and exploit their full potential. Our fellowships bring together professionals across the whole economic spectrum. Inspire is proudly associated with highly sought-after executives and entrepreneurs in Africa, and it has attracted a number of internationally renowned Christian motivational speakers, authors, and business leaders. Our mission and activities are geared towards raising a generation of effective Christian leaders. We passionately believe that the time is now for Uganda and Africa as a whole to arise and take the, uh, 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 what we believe, our passion and activities are geared towards raising a generation of effective Christian leaders. And we passionately believe that the time is now for Uganda and Africa as a whole to arise and take their place in the global marketplace and for Christians to lead in this revolution. And as our commitment to this quest, we have these annual conferences that bring us together so that we can continue to stir each other up. This conference serves to rekindle that the decisions that are pertinent to being an effective Christian leader. This event is going to present you with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to network with professionals from across, um, across the corporate and, and, and uh, social uh, network. It's our conviction that participating in this conference will avail you with an opportunity that is priceless. This conference comes at a time when Uganda is celebrating her jubilee, silver jubilee, 50 years. And jubilee means a time for freedom, according to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. It's a time for each one of us to return to his property and each one to return to his clan. It's a time to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we believe that we are standing at the threshold of the biggest revolution Uganda has ever witnessed. Imagine an army of Christians in the marketplace speaking the same language, hearing the same sound, influencing decisions in every sector of the economy. Imagine a time where everywhere we turn, there is a witness for the name of Jesus. It is possible, and we are the generation to make it happen. And we believe that Inspire 2012 is where we are going to begin to set the pace. I would like to appeal to every believer that's listening to my voice to take up this great challenge and ready themselves to stand up and be counted as the men and women 
of the generation that God can rely on to bring to pass the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 verse 14. And this gospel shall be preached and the gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached in all the world and the end as a witness to all nations and the end will come. Our theme this year is time for the shift. We believe that it is time for the manifestation of the sons of the kingdom of God for them to begin to take over the marketplace. It's time for kingdom people to begin to dominate in the affairs of the land. It's time to shift from being modular Christians into lifestyle Christians. It's time for the manifestation of the Josephs, the Daniels, the Nehemiahs, the Esthers, and the Pauls of our day. It's time for the demonstration of the gospel in the marketplace. It's time to begin to transfer the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of our God. It's indeed time for the shift. There's no better choice of speaker than a charismatic, contemporary, seasoned Bible teacher with a tested international apostolic call, the senior pastor of Deliverance Church, Umoja, a motivational speaker, and he's the father of the Inspire Vision. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to invite and introduce you our guest speaker, Bishop John Brown Masinde. Let's put our hands together for him. Yeah, let's continue clapping until he comes to the podium. Thank you. Come on, let's, uh, let's appreciate Paul Wafula for those kind words. And and uh, those of who are on the podium, should we leave them there or should we bring them down? Can you request them to come down so we can talk to all of us when you are down here? So, that, so I don't have to keep turning back all the time. Come on, let's give them a hand and appreciate, appreciate them. And, Thank you. Just greet someone near you on my behalf. Tell them the bishop says hi. Thank you. I can see Joseph and Leah. Glad to see you today. Please, let's be seated. Let's be seated. I was doing that so I can allow my wife to come and say jumbo. You know, come and just say quickly, say jumbo. And then we shall. Uh, you remember my wife? I was with her last year. Yeah, you forgotten my wife. Oh, I've, now, now, now I'm offended. <laughs> okay, Mama Joy, say Jumbo. Jumbo. Praise the Lord. I'm happy to be here. I couldn't believe when we were coming yesterday that it's a year is gone. We were here last year and it looks very short, shorter time. But I'm always happy to come to this conference. I think it's my third time. But I love the people of Uganda, if not for anything else. This I can call my second home. When I come here, I feel at home. I feel loved. We were received very well, and we believe that the Lord is going to bless us. 
through the ministry of the word, when I was looking at the, at the flyer, I saw some very small writing down there. Amen? And it says, igniting, igniting potential. Igniting potential. It was a small writing. Let me show you this. I look for the small things. It's somewhere here, down here. And I was reminded of a book I read called Unfreezing the Frozen Assets. Amen. And I got the meaning of igniting. I mean, there's unfro unfrozen assets. Amen. And what this conference has been doing is to unfreeze them. And then I like the theme of this conference. It says, it is time for the shift. We can't keep on igniting. Amen. We must make a shift at a certain time. So may the Lord bless you. I'm here to be blessed. And I know we will not leave this place the same. God bless you all. Amen. God bless you. Celebrate my wife or we close the conference. <laughs> uh, did I hear Pastor Buana's voice? Oh, there you are. My pastor, how are you? <laughs> Glad to hear you. you know, because of this light, I cannot see very well. God bless you. And then age has moved. When you put a light, a strong light in my face, I see men like trees walking. Now, those of you who have been to my meetings, you know I'm a humorous person. I like us laughing. I like us uh, being interactive. I'm told we have a one and a half hours. Uh, I'll teach for an hour, then we'll allow questions for 30 minutes. Is that okay? Is that okay? Because this is not church. Church, you don't ask me questions. Church, you say amen. <laughs> and we get out of here. But <laughs> but you have got... Uh, we, we, it's, it's a conference-like, and we are sitting like we're in a conference. I'm using my liberty. I'm using my freedom. Uh, can I talk just like myself? All right? So that's, uh, even in my own local congregation, I refuse to be tied to, uh, to a particular place. I like moving around, walking around. Uh, for two technical reasons. Number one, that's part of my exercise regime. Uh, and number two, it gives the devil a hard time. If he wants to stop me, then he has to keep following me wherever I'm going. So he gets tired about five minutes through when I'm in my talk and he gives up. I really appreciate again coming back this year. Like my wife said, we're so glad that we, are, we were invited. And uh, we're glad to see all of you and we pray that uh, what we shall be bringing shall be able to help you and be beneficial to you. That it's something you can take and go and use in your situation. And you can use wherever you are because that's our prayer and that's our desire. We carry a belief. And this is, uh, by the way, I'm already talking. If you wonder, if you thought I'll shake and then begin to talk, I'm already talking. <laughs> you know, the people expect a ceremony and then oh, now we have begun. Uh, but just very quickly, uh, let me just introduce two people that are in my team. You saw Mike, uh, he is one of our ministers. He always comes with me. Uh, Mike Ogutu, all he loves Uganda, always comes with me. And I came with another person here. This is Alex Mwadi. Alex is one of our elders. And uh, we shall be sharing on, on Friday with him. Because some of the things I've been teaching, he's gone through them. And uh, I just brought him so that, number one, he can share a bit. And out of what I shared with I mean, he's been listening to me. Um, he's written a book, a very simple book. But from the story of Blind Batamayas, it's called The Bailout Plan. The Bailout how to come out of the rut of life. And uh, 
that book is on sale out there. Uh, I don't know. They will, they'll tell me the price eventually. We'll let you know. But uh, Alex, just come and say Jambo. Alex works for the Khan Development Network, especially, uh, uh, focusing on IPS. He's a senior project manager and uh, right now he's been given a company to go and he's a turnaround expert. He goes to one of these companies that's not doing well, turns it around. Once it picks up, they, he lets it run. He's given another one. So right now, he just finished three, four assignments. He's joined them. He's now been given a fourth assignment in Mombasa to go and turn around a company that is, needs to be turned around. And, that's, and all that, well, sometimes all it takes is just to, is a shift. Shift from one direction to another. <laughs> just say jumbo. Jumbo. Praise the Lord. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I thank God that I'm able to be here. And thank you very much, Bishop, uh, for allowing me to come. Uh, I like the concept of the conference. Uh, they inspire that we need to transform our minds so that we can transform our thoughts. And when we transform our thoughts, then we can transform our action. If you transform your action, you transform the results that we get. In Kenya, uh, the Ismaili community that I work for, the EKDN, this hotel belongs to Ismailis. Uh, I've seen the photograph of the Hisaianes at the reception as soon as I walked in, and I knew this is part of that group. Uh, one of the key things is that if you want tomato sauce in Nairobi, if you want sausages, you go to Farmer's Choice. If you want socks, you go to Kemin Industries. If you want clothes, you go to Altex Pizel Limited. If you want printing, you do go to Kenya Litho. If you want packaging material, you go to Allpack. If you want, if you want. Every, yeah, yeah, the nation television, uh, the nation newspapers, I tell you, they own 15% of the Republic of Kenya's economy. If you want water, you go to Aquamist in Nairobi. And my prayer, and when I walked in, I thought this bishop, is that we need to transform our minds so that we can actually be able to take that which belongs to us and we can own 30% of the economy. Thank you. And do you know how many there are in Kenya? Less than 10,000. The last count was 6,000. When I was visiting Houston in the month of April, I visited with one of them uh, who lives in Houston. He actually is in charge of the mosque. He told me, he's an orthopedic surgeon. He told me that one is my hobby. My work is business. He, he had just bought a 200-bed medical facility for patients who are going through post-operation uh, recovery, and he's given it to his daughter as a gift to run. He runs a tire sales company where he's got a manufacturing plant in China and in Pakistan, and he's got outlets in Dubai and Nairobi and, and Nigeria, and he lives in Houston. I spend time with him. And you, you just spend time with him, and your mind is just stretched, and realize what actually you can do if your mind is shifted. And, and, and we are not far. We are in the right place. Tell your neighbor we are in the right place. Amen. We are in the right place. So we, 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 we've gathered here just to... The Bible, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So, so we have just come here to sharpen one another. Is that okay? I'm not speaking as an, I'm not speaking as an expert. To me, I am not called into the world of business. Am I clear? But I'm called to motivate. Paul says we look poor, yet we make many rich. Though I don't look poor. <laughs> I don't look poor. But uh, that, that is Paul's testimony. In other words, I don't have to be in order to motivate you. 
Because there's something I've seen in God, I can push you towards that. Am I clear? And if you can catch what I've seen in God, and I'll show you in scripture, I, I can assure you, you'll succeed. Last year when I was here, I started the first day by painting in large strokes. Do you remember that? Some of you are here last year. I told you where the world was in science and where the world was in matters of the economy and social world. Now we come back today again. Let me tell you two things that are happening today that is in just in the secular world that some of you may not have noticed. Today the scientists in Geneva are presenting evidence that they've discovered what they are calling the God particle. Some of you might have noticed that. And that is Higgs boson. And they've discovered a particle they believe that gives everything its mass. Now, these are things we talked about last year. And this is what the Bible simply says. In the last days, knowledge shall accelerate. It shall increase. It's within the economy and the plan of God. Am I making sense? But we must understand also, as much as man keeps on discovering this and the other in the scientific world, they, even now when I was listening to them, because I pay attention to stuff like that, when they were listening to the comments that they said what you have discovered is like one side of that uh, Rubik cube the other, the other three four other sides we don't even know what they look like and they are, that's an honest assessment of the situation they are saying what we have discovered is a very small portion because God is very interesting as soon as you think you know something then he just pulls the curtain to show you something else that you have no idea about because that's, how, that's what he has done in creation he has put so many things out there and he's having fun as we chase after and we discover these and we are clapping our hands, we are saying Eureka! And he said, oh, you say Eureka? Let me show you something else. You see, the, when the, the time when that gentleman said Eureka is so long ago, if he rises up from the dead today, they'll tell him, no, you don't know much. This is what we know. This is how far we have gone. Am I making sense? And therefore, we really want to celebrate with our scientists, but still tell them there's still more to, to learn. And as a church, we should be proud of this. And I want to see Christian scientists out there working together with their colleagues to discover what God has done. Somebody say amen. We should not be running away from the world of science. Science, that's our world. We should be there. The other thing that is going on that I mentioned last time is that the economic situation in the world is going to get tougher and tougher and tougher. And right now we have got a CEO, one of the leading banks in the world, just being grilled that over the years they have been cheating on the interest rates. These are things I mentioned last year. Those of you, if you, if you care to remember, that Jesus mentioned and says, when you see the perplexity of nations, and that word simply means, when you see nations coming into situations for which human beings have got no answer. They come into situations for which human beings have no answer. That's what Jesus called perplexity of nations. Have no answer. When you see that, then you need to look up because your redemption is drawing near. And right now we have got several things in which the human being has no answer. Reading your paper today, can I just tell you something you might not have noticed? Reading just your paper today, they say that the AIDS rate in Uganda has risen all over again. Did some of you notice that? You see, that's something we thought we have dealt with. Am I? Even in Kenya, it's not just here. Even in Kenya, the rate is going higher again. Because I'm, we are, all of us as Christians, we are deeply involved. Therefore, when you look at this, men may think I have an answer to this, I have an answer to this, I have an answer to that, I have an answer to that, but suddenly begins to realize, you know what? I don't have the answer. The answer lies elsewhere. Now, today we are not going to work on the answer, but I was just trying to show you that if we, what we were painting last year is going on. The economic situation is still challenging. Greece is still struggling. 
Italy is struggling, Ireland is struggling, Portugal is struggling, Spain is struggling, France very soon will be struggling. Remember what I've just mentioned. In another two, three weeks, France will also be in the news. The America is struggling. I've, I've just come from the, told you we spent about five weeks in the U.S. It's no longer fun to go to, even if you get a green card, it's no longer fun to go to the U.S. Because the jobs are not there as, as they were there some years ago. So some of our people who are there are really struggling. I'm not saying they are badly, they are really struggling. And, uh, but nevertheless, these are some of the challenges people are facing out there. So as we face them in Uganda, we face them in East Africa. Right now, I just come from Kenya, where we even going to church is becoming a challenge. Because you don't know whether you'll come out alive. I'm one of the church leaders. Before I came in yesterday, I spent the morning with Muslim leaders and Christian leaders at the Serena Hotel, just putting our heads together because we're religious leaders, wondering what do we tell our youth? Because here we are Christians trying to restrain our youth from revenging. And I'm glad we've made a, we, we, we put out a statement yesterday. But you know what I'm talking about? There, there are challenges that have just risen up. That you don't, the world doesn't know what to do. The, the situation in Mali, the situation that is in Somalia, the situation that is happening in places like Congo, it is mind-boggling. And that there are no simple answers to, this, to these challenges. But in this room, by the grace of God, maybe they're not on that side, maybe they're in this area here. I say in this room, by the grace of God, maybe they're not here, maybe they're in this corner here. In this room, by the grace of God, we may be, there may be sitting men and women whom God shall give an answer if you can understand what I'm going to be teaching these next three days. Can we say amen? amen? I don't think these problems are totally unsolvable. They are solvable because in the same breath, God says, in the last day, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall not just prophesy, but they shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. What is the purpose of visions and dreams? The purpose of visions and dreams is to give you a solution to challenges and problems that are facing your generation. The problems that were solved by people in the past, they were solved by people who got dreams and who got visions. And out of those dreams and out of those visions, they solved problems in their, in their generation. And God says, because I'm talking to some of you who are Pentecostal here, from Deliverance Church, Watoto Church, I did one is Resurrection Church. Eh? Church of Resurrection. Okay. You'll find that there are quite a number of you who are tongue-speaking Pentecostals, you know, die-hard Pentecostals. It's not even the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Ghost. You know, you know there are those who are not filled by the Holy Spirit, they are filled by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> because you, are, you come from that uh, the, the old Pentecostal strain we are, they, no, no, I'm not filled by the Holy Spirit this is the Holy Ghost because you think spirit could even talk about some drink that sometimes affects people, people's legs so it's the Holy Ghost it's alright but you think the purpose of God filling with the Holy Spirit is to just speak in other tongues no it's to give you dreams it's to give you visions hallelujah and vision is to bring solutions. And I, I, I believe that as we sit in this room, you'll notice many of the people that I'll be using as examples are people that all, all God did in their day is to give them a dream, give them a vision. And out of that dream and their vision, they saw a solution. Am I making sense here? And I'm looking at people here who are dreamers, those who are born before like me, and those who are born recently, I'm looking at people here who are visionaries. 
Just look at your neighbor tell the bishop, I just talked about me. Okay, give them an encouragement. He just talked about you right there. So they can feel you. Also, we also talk about them. They don't think we are being selfish. All right? My talk today, I want to begin from this because this, this year, I want to concentrate on you just to strengthen you. Is that okay? I, I'm, not, I'm saying, is that okay? So my talk this year, I want to start uh, uh, just by strengthening you. And I want to begin from in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll just pick it from verse 1 and find out exactly what the apostles say so I can work on you uh, so that you can understand. Your, your life is not a dichotomy, but your, li your life is one whole. And uh, you can begin to respect what you do, value what you do, move forward with what you do. Amen? Is there, is there anything that's out of order? You okay? Am I safe? Okay. Oh, you, you're getting your Bible? Oh, you're getting a Bible, sorry. You know, I've just come from Kenya where things happen in a church. So when people start going behind you and, okay, someone searched him. <laughs> All right. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, chapter 2, this is what the Apostle Paul says, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy as his son, so don't, I'm not putting you down when we read this scripture, just receive it the way it comes. You therefore, my son, that is what Timothy was to him. Paul uses these words, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong. The, my emphasis there is be strong in the grace. Don't go to verse 2. I just want I'll just be taking scriptures like that. Don't go to verse 2. I just want verse 1. Just verse 1. Just verse 1. There it is. He says, you thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word grace in Greek uh, comes from the word charis. The word charis is the same word we get grace, and we also get the word gift. We also get the word, let me push it further, because grace if you just want, I listened to someone on Sunday who gave a very good definition of grace as it, as it grows. He says, when you listen to a beginner in grace, he'll tell you, it's God's unmerited favor. Is that okay? That, that's the primary meaning of the word grace, God's unmerited favor. But the more you climb further, you'll discover grace is not, is, is not just God's unmerited favor. Grace is also the gift that God gives. And number three, you'll discover it's not only that. Grace is that ability to do what you'd not be able to do otherwise in your own strength. And what Paul is telling Timothy here, be strong in the gift. Now, write this point down. This is important. Someone said, and I agree with him, though we were born naked, we were not born empty. You are born naked, but you are not born empty. So someone says, oh, naked we came. Yeah, I know, naked we came. But none of us came empty. All of us, when we, God brought us into this world, he did not bring us empty. Okay? There's something he put in us. There's a gift he put in us. There's a grace he put upon our lives that he did not give to somebody else. Am I making sense there? Am I making a point here? Now, when you look at uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah is told by God in Jeremiah chapter 1, he says, before you are formed in your mother's womb, what does God say? I knew you. And at that time, I set you apart that you may be a prophet. I want to work on that uh, slowly so that you can, I can take you out of that mind. 
before you are formed in your mother's womb, he tells Jeremiah, I knew you and I set you apart. See, God does not operate like us. You see, with us as human beings, we wait until we see the sex of the child and uh, then we begin to wonder, what name shall you give this child? What shall we call this child? But as far as God is concerned, he says, I don't know you by the time you are born. I knew before you are born. And at that time, even before you are born, I had some reason and purpose for your life. That's why I can say again in Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you. So God, you did not come into this world and take God by surprise and just land in Mulago Hospital. And God said, oh, there's another boy that's been born in Mulago. What do you do with this boy now? He says, before you are formed, hallelujah, in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And I set you apart. Now the assumption, and I begin to push, the shift begins here now. The shift begins here now. The assumption, many of us, when you read the book of Jeremiah, we assume that if God has set you apart, it must either be an apostle, let's go ahead, or a prophet, or an evangelist, come on, let's talk to ourselves, or a pastor, or a bishop, or an evangelist, or a teacher. Come on, help me here. Am I, am I making sense? But do you know there are people that God has called not to be apostles, not to be pastors, not to be evangelists, not to be prophets. Hello? And I'm looking at some of them today here. God has called you to be an architect, an engineer, to be a teacher, to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, to be a politician, to be a businessman. Come on, don't keep quiet on me. You see, the problem we have in the Christian church, we assume that the only call of God in our life can only be to the ministry in the pulpit. To the ministry where? In the pulpit. But can I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have enough pulpits to go around. Can we begin from there? Are you getting my point? We don't have enough pulpits to go. I passed a congregation that is in ex sometimes in the region of 10,000 people every Sunday who come to my church. You tell me how the, all the 10,000 of us can become pastors of that church. When will I ever get to preach? It means all of us can only preach once in our lifetime. <laughs> I went to preach, you went to preach again in your next lifetime. Because before 10,000 people are finished preaching, I'll be dead. Because there are only 52 Sundays in a year. Am I making sense? So there must be something else here that God is doing to give me 500 people, you pastors, I'm talking to you now, to give you 1,000 people, to give you 200 people in your congregation. There's something else God must be doing. And the sooner as the Christian church will begin to understand that our God calls people, not all of them, to the pulpit, but he still called all of us wherever we are. Now you are quiet because you are still struggling. You have a bump your neighbor, just bump your neighbor gently, tell him now you need to shift. Yeah, that's why we need to shift. Because you see, some of you don't see yourself called as a teacher. Come on, let's talk to ourselves. You don't see yourself called as an engineer. Because to you, the word called, hallelujah, comes with the the dramatic pictures you've seen scripture of Moses at the burning bush. Praise God. There was a bush that was burning. And God spoke from the bush. Hallelujah. 
How many people were called like that? Some of us see Paul falling off his horse. Oh, sorry, falling off his, his horse on the way to Damascus. And we want to get that kind of experience. Can I submit to you, I never had that experience myself. I never fell off no horse because I've never even ridden on any horse. Praise God. I never saw no bush burning. Can I, am I talking to someone here? So if we're waiting all of us to see a bush which is burning, falling off a horse, being hit by lightning and thunder, and no, 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 so who God has called me. No, no. He, he doesn't do that. All sometimes God does, can I talk to you, is to give you some gifts, give you some talent. He just puts in your life some gifts and some talent. And that's why I told you, you might have been born naked, but you're not born empty. By the time you are being born, that gift was there. That talent was there. You are, you are keeping quiet. When I was teaching on, on marriage, I think last year when I was here, I told you, when a baby is born, all these Kenyan runners you see, even the, the, the Ugandan one, John Akibua. You remember the great John Akibua? The guy used to show Kenyan some dust in running. I'm sorry, you have not produced any more, but there are one or two Kipsiro and... Uh, Kipsiro is coming up, and this other lady who's running 3,000 meters. Huh? You, you know her? In the, I, I knew you will mention some name. <laughs> you see, all this, whether it is uh, Kipsiro, it is Inzikuru, do you know all of them? The potential of running was there when they were one day old. All it needed was someone to develop it. Am I, am I clear now? Even you, the engineering was in you right from the start. The teacher was there. The nurse was there. The doctor was there. Come on, let's talk to ourselves. The politician was in you. It's only that through life, if you get the right people to develop you, then you develop into what it is that God wants you to be. And if you begin to realize that, before you are formed in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And that time I called you. I set you apart. Why? Because I need you. And I need you in this, to play this kind of sphere and this kind of role in the world and do it in my name. But, but you see, many of us, we still hang up. No, no, the cold ones are only the ones who wear, wear a black collar, with a, is it a black shirt with a, with a white collar or purple shirt. With, and, and so we, they must be called reverends, they must be called pastors, they must be called bishops, apostles, prophets, or evangelists. Those are not the only ones who are called. My purpose these three days, as I spend with you, is to show you, as a teacher, you are just as useful in the kingdom of God as the apostle is. Amen. I know some apostles will not be happy with me because there's a scripture that says, do my prophets no harm. Don't point a finger to my prophets. Praise the name of the Lord. So give honor to me. I'm not saying we dishonor them. Praise the name of the Lord. We are not going to dishonor our pastors, our bishops, our evangelists, our apostles. But what I'm talking to you is this. I'm talking to you as a Christian so that you may realize wherever you are, wherever you are, you don't have to long to become a pastor, to become a preacher, to be effective. Wherever you are, working in the bank, in the school, in the college, wherever it is you are, there's a call of God upon your life to be exactly where you are. Can somebody say amen? Now, the reason why we are struggling with this, let me give you some quick statistics here. Can I do that? Can I give you some quick statistics here? Billy Graham makes this statement. He says, the next move of God will be in the workplace. And that's what I believe. The next move of God will not be from the pulpit. 
is going to be the workplace. And listen to me, friends. Unless as a, the Christian church today in Africa, where right now the statistics, statistics are showing the greatest growth of the church in the world is in sub-Saharan Africa. That's why there's still expansion. Europe is shrinking, my fellow ministers. Am I correct? But in sub-Saharan Africa, the church is still growing. Let's give God the glory for that. But if we are going to sustain this growth, we must get a paradigm shift and shift the growth and the emphasis of the church from the pulpit to the workplace. Unless we do that, we shall suffer like the church in Europe has suffered. Raise a generation of young men and women who are just professionals, who are just professionals and business people without a sense of godliness, without a sense of their faith. They don't carry their faith out there. They only use it and manifest it on Sunday morning or in the prayer meeting or in the Bible study and then they leave it behind and they go to their workplace without carrying their faith together with them. But my challenge to you is this. We need to carry our faith with us wherever we go. Because that's the call of God upon our lives. And that's why Billy Graham, I'm glad I thank God the man is still alive. The next great move of God will be in the workplace. One of the men that I've sent here before, uh, that is uh, Julian. Julian will be joining us on Friday. Julian Chula leads two major, very successful companies here. Julian planted a church and he started some businesses in Kenya. And he planted a church. It's called the Papa Center. It's one of the fastest growing churches in Nairobi now, especially attracting young people. And as uh, in the first year of his business and running the church, his business lost a million dollars. Not a million shillings. Not a million Uganda shillings. And not a million Zimbabwe dollars. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm talking about a million US dollars. You'll see him here on Friday. And because I'm his pastor, he calls me. We were sitting at a hotel called the Stanley Nairobi, uh, sharing a cup of tea, and he tells me, Daddy, I'm giving up. I'm leaving business. I'm going to go full-time to serve God. I looked at him. I tell him, full-time? To do what? To serve God. I told him the word full-time does not exist in the Bible. It's not there. He, he looked at me and said, what are you talking about? I thought it is there. I said, no, it is not there. And if all of us can begin to shift that there's no, nothing in the scripture like full-time, it's not there. It's, it's a concept that, no, I'll deal with that maybe in the next session. The dualism that we have to struggle with and shift from that dualism and understand that, that the call of God is not, there's no dualism in the house of God. As far as God is concerned, all of us are important wherever we are. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So I told him, you are not leaving your work. He told me, but then I used this word. I told him, the next great move of God, Julian, it's not from the pulpit. It's going to come from the marketplace. And it's with people, with professionals and business people like you and me, like, like the ones seated in this room, who will understand and carry their, faith, carry their faith together with them. And as they stand for God where they are working, some of them may lose some contracts, they may lose some businesses, they may lose some jobs, they, miss, they may miss a promotion or two, but you know something? At the end of the day, the name of the kingdom of God will have been advanced. Right now, we have an American ambassador who resigned. Because he's a child of God. He's born again in Kenya. Because they wanted him to hold a gay parade. He did not even attend it. He tendered his resignation. He's going back to America. But to me, he's going back with his head held up high. He says, my faith does not allow me to host a parade like this. 
because they cannot put it in the streets of Nairobi. You know our culture. In Kenya and Uganda is similar. Come on, don't look at me like that. You make me feel lonely out here. Our culture is similar. You cannot walk on there tell, tell, telling us, I'm a man who sleeps with other men. How can you walk around with another man tell, telling them, this is my husband? It doesn't, it doesn't work in our culture. Even, even put Christianity aside, our culture doesn't work. Am I making sense? But even in our faith, it doesn't work. But this man, though he was serving as a, an ambassador of a great nation, but his faith was paramount. And then he was told, you must do this. He tendered his resignation. See, that is the kind of people we are talking about here. That's the call of God that is, you see, you take your faith with you. Your boss tells you do this and all, and not do this. And that's exactly what I'll be showing you from tomorrow. Daniel Shadrach mentioned, and he said, look, yeah, we shall not eat this. We are not bowing to you. Did you get me now? We are not bowing to this. We are not singing this tune. We are not dancing this dance. We are not bowing to this. We are not eating what you're offering. Yet they needed them because of their excellence. And that's what I shall be praying over your life this week. That God gives you excellence wherever you are. Hallelujah. That those that boss may not like your guts, he cannot get rid of you. Someone missed a place to have said amen. The next move of God is in the marketplace. Someone says God is marshalling his people in the workplace as never before in history. God is up to something new in the Christian church. Right now there are people being stirred in their marketplace so that they are being stirred to stand for their faith and defend their faith. Because that's been the lacking spark in our faith. We are good in church. We are good in cell groups. Come on, talk to me here. We are good in crusades. Come on, don't, don't keep quiet. Am, am I correct? We, when we call for a crusade in Ambole Stadium, we shall feel there and sing. Lift him up, lift up in the name of Jesus. We shall do that in Ambole Stadium. But as soon as we get into Barclays Bank, started chattered, and we get there and we are, suddenly we are quiet. Say, good morning, sir. How are you, sir? And we forget our faith. We think it's just for crusades. We think it's just for the church. We think it's just for fellowship. We think it's just for the cell groups. We think it's just for the open-air meetings. I'm here to submit to you. Our faith has to go with us. In the church, from the church, to the work marketplace, to the workplace, to our houses. Can somebody say amen here? Can somebody say amen here? I'll be, I'll, I'll just, let me just throw these statistics to you again. Survey reports that 98%, this survey, done by the Lausanne Committee, uh, this is April 2011 by Mark Green. Survey shows that 98% of Christians are not mission conscious at work. What does that mean? To, uh, to many of them, 98% of the Christians, they just assume the reason I went to work is to make money. <laughs> so they're not mission conscious at work. To the assumption is that I am here that I may make what? Money. The mission consciousness is not there. And my desire these two, three days with you is to stir you and show you, you know what? The reason you are there is that God has sent you there. Will you make money? Yes, you'll make money. But money shall be by the byproduct. Someone missed a place to say amen. Money shall be a what? A byproduct of your mission. God will watch over you. God will feed you. God will make sure you're promoted at the right time. 
Am I making sense to someone here? But let that let money be a by let the status you are called the, maybe you are called general manager, personnel manager, this director or that director. Let those come, but let those be byproducts. But primarily understand the reason I'm here is because God has sent me here as a missionary. He opened this door for me that I may come here as a missionary. Three, four years, um, not three, four years, but 12 or so years ago, 12, 12, 12, 13 years ago, I was deported from a country in Europe called Bulgaria. Are you laughing at Bulgaria or at me? <laughs> or, or at me? <laughs> or both of us? So we ask you, what are you doing in Bulgaria? <laughs> Serves you right. I was going to preach because that's my life. So my passport was written pastor because I wanted to be called reverend. John B. Masinde, pastor, senior pastor. That is what was showed in my passport. As soon as I landed in Sofia, I gave him my passport, my passport to immigration. The guy looked at my name, my title. He told me, no, your type is not welcome here. He picked my hand, led me to the baggage hall, told me, is your suitcase? I showed him this one, take it, took, took me back to the island crew, said, can you take him back where you got him from? That was the end of my mission in Bulgaria. It was just another turnaround. <laughs> when I got to the UK, I met my pastor. My pastor is English, so I went, because I flew back to London. And I was asking, what did I do wrong? He told me, JB, putting there the word pastor is wrong. Change it. He says, nobody travels as a reverend, as a bishop anymore. Why? Because there are countries where Reverend, bishop, apostle, evangelist, can I talk to you now? The door is closed. But it's open for engineer, doctor, teacher. Come on, let's talk to ourselves here. Do you understand me now? So, where your pastor will not be allowed to go in, you as an engineer will go in. Where your bishop will not be allowed to go in, you as a business person will go in. Because every country is looking for your business. Help me here. Every country is looking for doctors. Is looking for teachers. Especially teachers in English. And Ugandans, you are good English speakers. Makerere is one of the top medical schools in the world. So they are looking for doctors from Uganda. So when you, when you are a doctor and, and a door opens for you to go to one of these countries that are uh, where I cannot enter as a reverend, Bulgaria. <laughs> in other words, if my passport had just written there that I'm a teacher, they would have allowed, allowed me in. Do you, do you follow what I'm trying to say now? So if you can begin to understand that God is about to use people in the workplace in a way that he will not use an apostle. <laughs> he will not use the rank and file preacher who is going there said, in the name of Jesus, let's hold a crusade, put my picture on this. Every time I go to some countries now, I go in as a tourist. Because <laughs> if I tell them I'm going to preach the gospel, they're not allowing me in. One of them is in India, they'll just tell you, you know what? We have enough religions in this country. <laughs> And they cause a lot of confusion. We don't want you. You keep yours only. We don't want your confusion. Too. Don't bring your confusion here. Because the ones we have are already confused. 
That's what they told me at the Indian High Commission. You know, they don't want, but so, so every time I go to some of these countries, I fill in a tourist visa. I have to book a hotel in advance, give them the address of the hotel, and I go in and go straight to the hotel because you don't know who's following you from the airport. <laughs> so you check in in the hotel, and then they say, nice, he's a tourist, really a tourist. Am I making sense? But you see, with you as an engineer, you don't have to do that. Am I making sense now? As a business person, you just you have a walkover. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. There, there is a world waiting out there for Christian businessmen, lawyers, doctors, engineers, nurses. Hallelujah. And a world out there closing for your rank and file reverends, pastors, and all that. And that's what I'm trying to say. Some of you are struggling because some of these surveys you did not know. 37% of Christians have not had a message on work in the last 12 months. 37% of Christians have not had a message on work in the last 12 months. What are they hearing? Shall I continue? They are hearing a message on healing. Come on, help me here. On deliverance, on giving, on demons. Don't keep quiet on me when I'm helping you here. <laughs> But there's no message on the workplace. But let's, let's ask ourselves a question. Can we, can we go through, through some statistics? Can we, can we do some more statistics? Can we? If you're working eight hours a day, five days a week, how many hours are those? Yeah? 40. 40 hours a week, you're in your workplace. If you work part-time Saturday, say 45 hours a week, you spend where? At your workplace. Am I correct? How many hours do you spend in the church in a week? Maximum, if you are a diehard Pentecostal. <laughs> you know when to begin and you don't know when to end. <laughs> you know, there are those who we know when to start, we don't know when to end. Because you must begin with a pro prophetic word to tell you who will lead in the choruses, who will preach. <laughs> you come not knowing who will preach. And which songs to sing. So, God, I say, the Lord, what a friend we have in Jesus. So, they, they, <laughs> that says the Lord, Alex has the word. And which word? So, so if you're like that, it's just three hours. So, you compare three hours, hello, versus 40 hours or 45 hours. What percentage is that? Those of you, those of you do mathematics. Isn't that a big percentage? Can, can I talk some more? How many hours do you spend with our families? Because let's be honest, there are those hours that are personal. Sleeping, that's personal. <laughs> no, no, we, I'm talking to you. Sleeping is what? Very personal. You don't want someone to tell you. that time you tell your wife, no, I've got an early start tomorrow. So that is personal. So, so if you give yourself six hours a day for personal, sleeping, bathing, washing, dressing yourself, eating, so, and so you spend about maybe another three, four hours with your family. So we spend more time at work than with our families. Come on, help me here. Than on personal things, than on church. Yet we don't hear a message on work where we spend 65% of our time. We spend 65% of our time when we are awake at work. 
And if I start asking questions here, and I can, I, I, can, I can push it for a moment. How many of you workers here have ever had your pastor visit you where you are working? Let me ask. Ever? No, 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 has never, never, has never. Your pastor has never visited you where you are working. They don't know where your business is. Exactly. You, you see what I'm trying to talk about here? Okay? But, but, your pastor wants to come when you are sick. Hello? He will come when you are at home. Help me here. But where you are spending 65% of your time, of your time, he does not know. He just sees your envelope of tithe. He does not know where you are getting it from. <laughs> Pastors are looking at me very seriously. I tell you, Bishop, we give you a fair warning. You are not getting out of here after, after this. Pastors, can, can we, I'm helping you, Pastors. I, do you understand the statistics I'm working on here? If, if a person spends 65% of your time at work and the church is not even talking about it, no wonder we are living our, we are living our, we, we, we live our Christianity in the church, in the prayer meeting, hello, in the cell group, and when we go to work, we say, my pastor is not interested in this. He doesn't talk about it. Do you know the danger, men of God who are here listening to me and all of us? The danger is that if we are not careful, the messages we are preaching in the church are going to become more and more irrelevant. The parables of Jesus. I say the parables of where, what is the emphasis? It's men and women at work. A farmer went out. Is that ministry? I'm asking, is that preaching? Is that witnessing? No, tell me here. Is that casting out devils? Is a farmer goes out. Am I correct? A fisherman went out. It is he's talking about people at work. The parables he collects, he collects at a woman sweeping her house. It's a woman at work. But here we are, we are ignoring men and women at work. And in this conference, I want to look at the men and women at work and tell you, you know something? When you're cleaning your house, that's ministry. Now you're not saying amen now because, you see, this is where the paradigm shift has to come in. That when you are working in the bank, that is ministry. Hello? When you're taking care of those patients, that's ministry. And listen, God is with you. You should write this down. Bob Pastor says, God is with you on Sunday morning in church in the same way as he's with you on Monday morning as you go to the office. You don't leave him in church. So as you wake up Monday morning carrying your briefcase, running for that bus, is it called Pioneer Bus? Running for Pioneer Bus. <laughs> Try to catch Pioneer Bus. God is with you as he's with the preacher on Sunday morning as he's preparing for his message for you. And as soon as I begin to realize that, my brethren, the better and more impartial we shall be as a church community in Uganda. Let me, let me come on, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap offering. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 33% of Christians have never had a message in church on work. 75% were never taught on calling or vocation. 
75% of Christians in the church have not been taught on calling or vocation. They, that's, why it says, uh, that's why I was saying earlier, 75% of the Christians in the church, Pastor Obona, calling is calling to preach or to sing. They only relate that calling with what they saw happening in the life of Jeremiah or Moses or Elijah. They don't realize even Daniel was called. You are quiet. Even Joseph was called. You are quiet. Even Esther was called. I thought some ladies would say amen. <laughs> it is true. There are one or two examples God uses. Used some fantabulous miraculous appearance. But the majority of the people we find in the church, in the Bible, their calling was out of circumstances, out of their natural talents, out of the gifts in their lives, and God just started using them. Because they understood I'm not just here, I'm not just here to make money, I'm not just here to be a farmer, I'm here to serve in the name of the Lord. Can somebody say amen? Can somebody say amen? Let's follow this. Let's follow this. When you begin to understand that, 75%, this is another, the last point I want to make to you. 75% of Christians have never been asked about their work as their ministry. Their work as their ministry. That teaching is a ministry. Nursing is a ministry. Working in a bank is a ministry. Business is a ministry. They have never been asked about their work as a ministry. And we need to start shifting, especially our, 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 shifting our paradigm, so that we can begin to start looking at our, at our work as, a, as you are selling tomatoes in the market. You are selling second-hand clothes in a winner market. Do that under the anointing of the house where you belong. Praise the name of the Lord. Imagine the difference that will make. Because Am I making sense? Or do I sound like a mental case? You know, sometimes when you talk like this, something that's a bit radical, people think you're a mental case. But me, I know I'm not. Because I, I've struggled with this thing and I've seen it work. And as we give testimonies this week, you'll realize, by the way, do you know something? That's how God works. Can somebody say amen? amen. That is how God does what? Works. That's how God works. Let me push it this way. The first assignment God gave to Adam in the book of Genesis. Are you, still, are you there with me or you are still very far away? In the book of Genesis chapter 2, God forms a man in verse 7. Why does he form a man in verse 7? Because verse 8 says, The Lord God planted a garden, verse 8, in eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So why does he put him there? He gives him work. Come on, let's talk. <laughs> what does he give him? Work. When I saw this, I started laughing. Let me show you the other thing. That, you know, I'm, I teach on marriage quite a lot. But there's something I, I had not noticed until I, I started doing this study for this conference. Then something hits me here. Verse 18. When Adam is working, 
The Lord God says in verse 18, chapter 2, it's not good for that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. What does a helper come to do? You think he's just coming for sex? Because some of us, that's what we assume. Because Adam was working, God says, I want to give him someone to help him. You are quiet. See, some of you are quiet because you think, oh, the, the reason God created Eve was for sex. Come on. She was coming as a helper because he was working. And nobody else could help him work. So God created someone to come and help him work. What am I trying to teach you? Get this point. The work of a man did not come after the fall. This is chapter 2 of Genesis, oh. I say this is chapter 2 of Genesis, oh. Are we, are we there? The fall is in chapter 3. <laughs> in chapter 2, Adam and Eve have not yet fallen. So there are two things here that did not come as a result of the fall. Marriage did not come after, as a result of the fall, neither did work. So don't let anybody tell you, no, after man had fallen, God cast him. And because of the curse, we must work. Wrong theology. So you have this idea. Some things are secular and some things are holy. That's the dualism that many of us are struggling with. So we think, oh, to, to be a preacher is holy. To be a pastor is holy. To be an apostle is holy. To be a bishop is holy. Come on, help, help me here. Am I following that? But to be a teacher, that's not very holy. Am I talking to someone here? To be a farmer, not very holy. To be a businessman, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's, wait, 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 no, no, no. To, to be a politician, oh, no, no, not holy at all, at all, at all, at all. Why? Politics is a dirty game. But why is it dirty? We have allowed dirty people to play it. You allow dirty people to play a game, it becomes dirty. You are quiet. But you get some clean people to play a game, it becomes clean. See, money is not dirty. No, 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 no. Money is clean. But put money in the hands of dirty people, they'll do dirty things with it. Don't keep quiet on me. Am I making sense here? So when you begin to understand that work is not as a result of the curse. Marriage is not as a result of the curse. The first assignment God gives to, to Adam was the assignment to work. In fact, he was his partner in creation. He told him, Adam, you know what? I'll create, you name them. <laughs> Come on, help me here. I'll do, God says, I'll do the creation, and you do what? So we are partners here. So God created, and Adam named. God created, Adam named. They were working together. Then God says, oh, this guy is overworking. He needs a helper. <laughs> Let me get, make him a helper, fit for him. Because an elephant is not a, cannot help you. A lion would rather have you for lunch than help you. Don't keep quiet when I'm teaching you like this. Am I making sense now? A cockroach is not going to help you. But uh, your wife can help you in your work. Am I making sense? When you begin to understand, God did not curse work. God blessed work. Let me, give, let me surprise you here. Can I surprise you? Did you have your Bibles open? Go with me to the book of Exodus. Chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31 from verse 1. This is the time God 
is actually telling Moses, let's build an, a tabernacle. Then he tells, and the Lord speaks to Moses. Let me read from the New King James. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called by name someone called Bazalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3, what does it say? What does verse 3 say? Go to verse 3. What does it say? What does it say? And I filled him with it. I filled him with it. To do what? To preach? To prophesy? To sing? Come on, help me here. Come on, don't keep quiet on me. What? Did he feel me the Holy Spirit to, to teach? He says, I filled him with the Spirit of God in what? In wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of what? Workmanship. Pastors, the first person that God filled with the Holy Spirit was filling him to work. That was filling him to preach. Are you still angry with me? Or am I teaching you something here? Go, go, on with that. go to the next one. Go to the next verse. What does it say? To devise, to devise what? Cunning works. No, the word cunning may, may make you think it is ugondi. Nicky James says, to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I have, verse 6 says, and I've, indeed, I've appointed who, someone else with him, Aholiab, the son of Aisamak, those are difficult names, of the tribe of Dan, and I put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Come on, church. The first person that God says, I have actually filled him with my spirit. It was not to prophesy. It was to work. Can you begin to see God can actually fill you with his spirit so you can be the best banker where you are working? keeping quiet. The best mechanic in that industry. Am I making a sense here? You see, when you look at the Holy Spirit, you say, oh, we receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God. I'm a love the Lord. Spirit filled. And I speak in tongue. And I'm going to shut up. Speak in tongue. And then you do what? Speak in tongues. I'll not put food on your table. Try it. Go and get some stuff from Uchubi supermarket or Taskies or game and go to the counter speaking in tongues. See if you'll ever get out of that place. They will lock you up. Until you produce some Uganda shillings. Am I correct? How do you get Uganda shillings? You work. How do you work? God's spirit. Come on. Now I'm talking to someone here. God's spirit was put on this man for work. And he became creative in the work, things of gold, things of silver, doing artistic works. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. There are men and women in Uganda that God is raising. And I'm saying they're all over this room today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of God is going to come upon you. So that, can I talk to you? Mike Maddox says, your employer employs you to solve problems. Every employment is because the company has a problem that needs a solution. And when they hire you, because they're hiring you to solve a what? And the bigger the problem you solve, the more money they pay you. 
If you are solving small problems like that, removing dust, they pay you small. Because the problem you are solving is so small. You are just removing dust. <laughs> you are a sweeper. So they pay you small. Am I making sense? But when you can solve bigger, bigger problems, the more they pay you. So if you understand, all employment does is that they hire you to solve problems in the farm, in the company, or in someone's life. And the bigger the problem you solve, that someone has, has cancer and you're able to remove it by surgery, they'll pay you more. Because you're solving a big problem. It's a matter of life and death. Am I making sense to someone here? Or someone has been taken to court, is in danger of going to jail, and you can go and stand before a magistrate and argue in their, on their behalf, and they are released. They'll pay you well. Not that they are guilty or innocent, but you have just let them off the hook. <laughs> By your language. They'll pay you handsomely well. Why? Because you have solved a problem for them. Am I making sense? My car is broken down. I can't fix it. I need someone to come and solve that problem. But that's what a mechanic does. Job here, I, I, Job is a member of my church. Job works, uh, he's a Swahili specialist. His Swahili name is Mpaswam Sonobari. Karaketwa Luga Kiswahili. That is, he's a graduate in Kiswahili, Kenyatta University. That's his specialization. That's his art name. And because, whether it's Microsoft, Google, Samsung, they want to market in Kenya and East Africa using Swahili, they had a problem. So they looked for him to solve the problem, put all their language, all, the, all their things in the Swahili language. So when you have Google and ask you, do you want Swahili or English? The Swahili they're using is coming from this young man sitting right here. You see, if you can solve a problem, they look for you. Look. John the Baptist, where was he preaching? Wilderness. Am I correct? No cities, no houses. Did they look for him or not? Your location is not a tragedy. Come on, let me talk to you. I'm saying your location is not a tragedy. If they know you can solve a problem, Americans will look for you here. Fly you to America, give you citizenship, fast track. The British will look for you here. Let someone tell them in Uganda, there's a man who can solve this problem. There's a woman who can solve this problem. I can assure you, you will not queue for a visa at the British Embassy. They look for you themselves. Send a car to pick you. CD. Take you to the Embassy. Give you a visa. Fly you to the UK and tell you we are, you are working for us now. And we are processing your British papers. Give you permanent indefinite stay. And after that, after a year, you can get a British passport. Why? Because you think you can solve a problem. Am I making sense to someone here now? God is telling Moses, there's a man I've put my spirit on. Because Moses had a problem. You ask me to build a tabernacle. Who will build it with me? He says, no, no, I've given some people in your camp my spirit. They'll be creators like me. God is the original creator. His spirit comes upon you to make you a creator like him. Think of words that the Americans cannot think of themselves. And they pay you for it. Moses' mother had a problem. She couldn't keep baby Moses. So she puts him floating on the Nile. Near where Pharaoh's daughter had a problem that she, without, she was without a child, could come and find. Am I making sense? So, 
The problem that Moses' mother had releases into the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter picks the problem, says, this is my solution to me. Miriam says, we've lost Moses, but not so much. Excuse me, madam. Thank you. This is a beautiful baby. Can I get you a nanny? Because suddenly with a new baby, you have a new problem. <laughs> you need a solution. Come on, don't look at me as though you don't know what I'm talking about. You get a baby today, you'll realize you, you, need, a, you need a nanny. So she says, I just know the right one for you. So she runs back home, tells mommy, I've got good news and bad news. Okay, which one do you want me to begin with? She says, begin with the either. Say, bad news. Moses has been captured by Pharaoh's daughter. But the good news is that I've just got you a job. <laughs> You're the new nanny <laughs> of your own baby. So the mother gets a job and as she goes in, she's solving a problem. But in the solving of that problem, she solves also her own. Because she spends time with her baby, suckles her own baby, teaches her baby the things of God. So that when Moses became mature, he could say, you are not my mother. I'm going to Goshen. Why did he learn that? When the mother was teaching him. Do you understand how God can orchestrate things? Why are you keeping quiet on me like this? Do you understand what I'm trying to teach you right now? You are hired to solve a what? A problem. For you to solve a problem effectively sometimes, listen, you need the Holy Spirit of God. And if you can understand that, that's why God says, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters. Not that they may only prophesy, but they may see what? Visions. And the older ones may dream what? Dreams. What, are vision, what is the purpose of visions and dreams? To solve problems. Where are you getting that from? Quickly. Come back with me to the story of Pharaoh and Joseph. What did Pharaoh have? Get. He got a dream. Come on, don't keep quiet. What did Pharaoh get? A dream. He didn't know what, what it meant. Am I correct? So he had a problem here. He looked at his magicians. They couldn't solve his problem. Hello? As he's complaining, what, has, what is he told by uh, the, the, the butler? When I was in prison, there's a man who interpreted my dream. And he solved my problem. If you send for him, he'll solve your problem. So they come to Joseph, and I'll be teaching some of this thing tomorrow. Joseph, as a Jew, or as a Hebrew, had a beard in prison. But Pharaoh could not stand beards. See, when God calls in the marketplace, you don't have to go foolish. See, this is why some of us struggle, because you want to work in a place, but you still want to wear a shirt with a red cross. Because that's your religion. Praise God. You come from that deed of Rome, Salaba, of East Africa, Holy Ghost Church of East Africa. Are they this side or they only found in Kenya? They're not this side. Oh, yeah. In Kenya, we have them. They come from somewhere just across the border, near where some of us come from. They put a red cross on the cap, on the plate, on the shirt, on everything. You don't have to. Do you understand me now? He, he says, Oh, this is a hindrance. He shaves it off. Because before Pharaoh listens to the dream, he gives Pharaoh the answer. And he tells Pharaoh, by the way, uh, this is what God is showing you. And out of that, he said, this shall be happen. After this, this shall happen. Because you, this shall happen, you need a solution here. 
a man of wisdom. And Pharaoh said, you are the man of wisdom. But there's nobody with the spirit of God just like you. Am I making sense to someone now? So, suddenly, Joseph gets a job. <laughs> and the dream that he had many years before that suddenly comes into play. Joseph was not a preacher. Daniel was not. But listen to the mother, mother Belshazzar. I'll be showing this on Friday night. The mother Belshazzar says, there's a man in your kingdom. He served your father. You sacked him when you came into the throne. But he served your father faithfully. And the spirit of God is on him. He'll solve your problem. Fetch him. They had to call Daniel out of retirement. They had retired him when Nebuchadnezzar died. Belshazzar thought, I, cannot, I can do without you. His mother told him, you can't. Your father could not do without him. Why? Because Daniel was in charge of a policy think tank. Though a foreigner. He was in charge of a policy think tank for Nebuchadnezzar. Made policies. That's what some of you have been called to do. You've not been called to the pulpit like me. You've been called to, called to sit around rulers. Yes, they hold the office, but you are the advisor. You don't even talk about it. You know, I'm the one who gave him that advice. You lose your job. <laughs> See, that's the problem some of us. You, when he uses your advice, you don't talk about it. You let him talk about it himself. Hello? Am I making sense to someone here? But you just sit behind He's drawing on your wisdom. He's drawing on the spirit of God in you. You actually, you are ruling through him. You are ruling the company through him. Paul was not the captain of a ship. No. But the ship was going to, to, to sink. But he says, no, no, no. I'm a servant of God. And I had a vision last night. We are not dying. <laughs> Do you get me now? Out of a vision, God said, Paul saved a ship. And the captain told the soldiers, you cannot kill anybody because he wanted to save Paul. So Paul was actually running the ship without being the captain. You can run a company without being the MD. You can run a department without the, becoming the HOD. Am I making sense to someone here now? Because someone said, unless I'm the HOD, I'm not running. No, no, no. You can just come bring your wisdom to bear. That comes from the spirit of God. Amen? Am, am I teaching you something? Now, let me. I want to start bringing this down. Can I bring this down? Oh, you're, you're quiet. You're catching something? Tomorrow we'll start working on particular uh, characters here that I, would, I, I want us to look at. But the, what, what I want here is that I just want to show you where some of us, why some of us struggle and why we should not struggle anymore. Shall we do that? I'm in Romans chapter 12. I want to give you two, three scriptures and then see if we can just tie what I'm saying tonight and then take one or two questions and we take a break. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Romans 12 verse 1. I'm still stuck there. It's a nice picture of me. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Hallelujah. I'm coming to some, I'll get into some potholes here with you. Some turbulence. And do not be conformed to this world. Are you seeing those words there? Hello? See, some of us, when we go to the world, we conform to the world. 
are keeping quiet now. Don't want them to know you are born again. So people are bribing you. Bribe along with them. People are sleeping at the boss. You want to sleep along with them. People are taking envelopes under the table. You want to take along with them. You are messing your testimony. You must take your difference with you. You are in the world, but not of the world. Come on, let's say that again. Though you are in the world, you are not of the world. So don't conform to the world. I know the pressure is there. This is where the paradigm shift is going to be. The pressure is there. That the only people who get promotion in this company are those who sleep with the boss, are those who must bribe, are those who must do ABCD. Listen, you can be there like Daniel was and said, I will not eat your food. Hallelujah. We will not bow. I will not stop praying. You are quiet. Stole, if you pray to another God, you are going to the lion's den. He opened his windows <laughs> towards Jerusalem. Don't conform. And, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How do you get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. I've told you before, let me tell you again, maybe you have not been to my meetings. The degree to which your mind is renewed is the only degree to which your life is transformed. You cannot, your life cannot be transformed more than your mind is renewed. Because the seat of your thoughts, the seat of your decision making is in your mind. And as long as your mind is corrupt, you'll still be corrupt. But when your mind is renewed, praise the name of the Lord, Thank you, sister. And others are in the front here, they're only writing, but it's good. You write. They are busy writing. They look like magistrates in the, in the courtroom, <laughs> writing the, the judgment. <laughs> but hear me. <laughs> but every time when God wants to shift, He wants to renew your mind. And if God can renew your mind, He'll transform your life. That's why at the end of the day, Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's the ultimate mind you can have. Because we begin with the mind of our grandfathers. Which will despise anything else, anyone, anybody of the opposite gender, you will despise. But when you come to the mind of Christ and look at people with the mind of Christ, you'll respect people and respect work. What is the mind of Christ? Can I surprise you? Just hold, hold, put your Bibles there. Go to whoever was on the computer. Give me Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. What does it, what, what is it, what, what, how do they describe Jesus? No, yeah, describe Jesus for me. How do they describe him? Is this not the carpenter? No, that's the first sentence. Is this not? So, what did they know Jesus as? In his community? Is that a worker, not a worker? No, I'm asking. It is there. They are meeting Jesus. He's coming to preach. What was your first question? Is this not? Where was it coming from? Let me tell you what it was coming from. Joseph was a carpenter. You remember that? History tells us Joseph must have died when Jesus was still a teenager. Jesus was the first one, brother. 30 years of his life, Jesus was a carpenter. 
not a preacher, not a rabbi, not a savior. Let me offend some of you now. <laughs> For 30 years of his life, he was a what? Because by the age of 12, every Jew had, had to teach his son a trade. Because the Jews have a saying, if at the age of 12 you have not taught your son a trade, you are teaching him to steal. Any man who does not teach his son a trade by the age of 12, to the Jews, you are teaching him to steal. So by the age of 12, Jesus knew what to do. So by the time his father was dying, he took over the family business. So we're actually looking at a man who knew how to make boats, make tables, make chairs. Hello? Manage the other brothers. Don't keep quiet on me. Hmm? So Jesus knew how to give invoices. To receive payment. Don't keep quiet. To pay his bills on time. He was a worker. Now you come here and say, no, you know me, I'm an apostle of God. Praise God. I'm an apostle of God. Praise God. No, 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 no. Apostle of God. Praise God. What, what are you talking about here? Our savior was a carpenter. Is a carpenter a worker or not? You tell me. Even when he says the harvest is ripe. Come on. Let's follow. The harvest is ripe. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out what? Workers, not bishops. Not evangelists. Come on, help me. If I'm preaching something out of scripture, you tell me bishop you're out of scripture. But if I'm preaching from scripture, say at least say amen. amen. You pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. The harvest that we are going to bring in needs workers. Because our master is called a carpenter. Because for 30 years of his life, that's what he did. The preaching was only three years. 10% of his life. <laughs> eh? The other 90%, he was a worker. God is calling me for full-time ministry, so I'm resigning. Get out of that dichotomy. Get out of that dualism. <laughs> you are in the right place for God. Hallelujah. As a lecturer in Makerere, you are in the right place for God. I had a fight with my daughter on this. My oldest daughter is a lawyer. Third year university, because I'm a preacher, she said, I'm not going back to school. God has called me to serve God. I told her, what? I'm not going. She refused to go back to school for a week. I had to use my authority as a father. You are going back to school. Or you are getting out of this house. I'm glad she went back to school. Finished her degree. Went ahead and became a magistrate. And I visited her one time in Mombasa where she was working. She was not even married. Small girl. She had a small body. If you see her now, she's, a, she's hefty like, like me and the mom. At that time, she was still small. She was not yet married. I went into her court and I realized I have to bow. So I had to bow. Otherwise, they would have thrown me out. And when I bowed, I, started, I bowed and I woke up laughing. And I looked up where she was sitting. She was also laughing. Because she, she knew exactly what was in my mind. I was protesting. This is not fair. I paid your school fees. I should not be bowing you. <laughs> but that's the law in Kenya. She's, that's now her courtroom. It's not my house. It's not my church. That's her courtroom. Everybody there called her madam. 
from police inspectors to the people in the dock. Ah, yes, madam. Yes, madam. I'm looking at her, I said, when, she, when I looked at her, she said, okay, everything, take all these guys back to the chambers. Yes, madam. The guys were taken back to, to the police cells. And she goes back to her chambers and tells her police orderlies, bring those three men. I was with two other bishops. So suddenly the police comes and says, what have you done? Madam says, we take you to her chambers. <laughs> you know what? She was in her parish. That was her parish. The church was my parish. But that was her parish. 60 people were in the dock. She said, take them back to the cells. Yes, madam. Yes, madam. If she, had, if she had said, anybody of you getting saved now, I let you go. Lead us in prayer. She would have led them in prayer immediately. Am I making sense? And when I went to her, to her chambers, I told her, Joy, you are now in your parish. This is your calling. This is where God has called you to be. This, this is your pulpit. The other one you had to do, you take a whole magistrate to start giving tracks along Kampala Road, Bukanda Road. You're wasting that talent. Do I sound like a mental case? Or am I teaching you something here? That's what I'm showing you. Our master was called. Is this not the carpenter? He was known as a worker. He was known as a what? Get a shift in your mind. Work is not evil. Pastor is not more holy than work. Hello? My, my, me being called Bishop J.B. Masinde, and you just being called Engineer Kiwanuka, before God, hallelujah, we are just as holy. Am I making sense now? Am I making sense now? If we can kill that dualism and understand, it's not a why. Is one single thing in the eyes of God. For me to stand in the pulpit and preach, for you to work as a lecturer to God, we are all on a mission. We are all on work. Hallelujah. So let's get our minds. Go back to how to show you two things, then I get out of your way. Allow you a question. Are you, are you learning something tonight? Then comes this very important question. Verse 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and accepted and perfect will of God. Are you seeing those words? Perfect will of God. Do you know, pastors, that's one question preachers are always, Christians are always asking. How can I know the will of God for my life? <laughs> How can I find? Come on, help me here. Remember that young, rich young ruler who came to you and says, how can I enter the kingdom of God? Remember that? If there are two questions that all these Christians are asking for, how can I discover the kingdom of God and enter it? And how can I know the will of God for my life? If I answer that question tonight and we get out of here, shall I have helped you? Yeah? Because it's one of the simplest questions to answer. Can we begin by answering the, the first one about the kingdom of God? So, so the kingdom of God is not far. It's not outside you. It's inside you. So you don't have to look outside. What am I trying to tell? To tell you, let, let, me, let me mess you up with you. Let me mess up with your theology. Shall I do that? Shall I do that? Many of you would want to pay a preacher. Tell me what God is saying about my future. 
I'm trying to save you money. If you don't know it, nobody else does. Can I save you money? You don't have to give a, give a seed to a prophet to tell you about your future. If you don't know it yourself, he does it. Bishop, what are you talking about? They are men of God whom God gives revelations in the dreams by night. I know, but what about you? About you? God will talk to you. What I'll come to do is to confirm what God has already said to you. You give me a word today from the Lord that does not resonate with what already I know about myself, I'll throw it out of the window without an apology. And I'll sleep without losing any dot of my sleep. <laughs> but the Bible says, do not despise prophecy. Yeah, but the Bible says, still says, test every prophecy. See whether it is from God. It doesn't tell me to accept every prophecy. See, I tell me not to despise. I'll not despise you, but I'll go and test it. Does not pass the test, I'll not keep it. Have I just helped you? Tell your neighbor, Bishop has just saved you money. So there's this question here. <laughs> question here. How can I prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And we struggle because in Philippians, I, I, are you going quickly? Because I want to see if I can bring this to a close. In Philippians chapter 3 from verse 12, we have this thing. Not that I've already attained, Paul says, or I'm already perfected. But what do I do? I press on that I may lay hold to that for that which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. And most of us assume when Paul is saying that, he's talking about preaching and teaching and prophesying and singing. So we are always spending our life in this painful, uh, going through this travail. Brethren, I do not cut myself to have a brain, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to that, to those things which are ahead of me, and I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the Christians spend their life looking for that one thing. Where is it, Bishop? I'm looking for that one thing. I'm here to tell you that one thing. You may be doing it right now. Thank you, sister. I say you may be doing it right now. So stop looking out. <laughs> you may be doing exactly what God wants you to do. But instead you're spending your time saying, I'm still looking. I'm still want to leave what is behind me. I want to press on that I may catch that one thing. Bishop, there's just one thing that I was apprehended for. Suppose I told you God apprehended you to be an engineer. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. God apprehended you to be an administrator. To be a businessman, businesswoman. That's why God apprehended you. Praise the name of the Lord. I said, praise the name of the Lord. Right there, right there. Let me show you. This will bless you. This will bless you. I'm back to Romans. Chapter 12. Look at verse 3. How do I know Paul is saying this in verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me. Romans 12 verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me. Paul is saying, according to the gift that God gave. In other words, me, I'm using my gift. So when you see me standing here, praise God. Me, I'm using my gift. So what is he saying? For I say through the grace given to me. 
to every man among you and every woman among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think what soberly come and help me here according to as God has dealt to each one every man a measure of what so ask you ask yourself what what what's my call what the question is this what do you have faith for How do I know my call? He says, according to the measure of faith. Ask your, just ask your neighbor a simple question. In life, what do you have faith for? <laughs> do you follow me now? You know, some of me say, I want to plant a church. Can you? Do you have faith for planting a church? Some of you have got faith for teaching little children. Hello? So go ahead and do child, early childhood education. You have got faith for that. Do what it is comfortable. Don't be a square peg in a round hole. Don't try to do something God has. That's why he said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. And let me put it this way. The job you are doing, the work you are doing is not lowly. Can somebody say amen? amen. J.B. Phillips in his translation of that scripture says, let each one of us have a sober estimate of himself. Don't undervalue yourself and don't overvalue yourself. Don't despise what you are doing. Come on, someone help me here. Don't despise what you are doing. And don't desire what somebody else is doing. Be comfortable with what you are doing. You have got faith for that. Don't go beyond for things you have got no faith for. Just because you saw brother so and so going for parliament. Don't say, you know, even me, I'm leaving teaching. I'm going to stand for elections. Praise God. God has given him faith for that. He has he given you faith for it? If he hasn't given you faith for it, you know me, me as a preacher, I'm so comfortable. I'm so secure in my calling. Hallelujah. I say so secure in my calling. Even if see, I see another preacher driving, uh, uh, moving around in a helicopter. Yeah, I remember Saitoti on Dojode. I, I thank God for my car. <laughs> no, I, that's a Kenyan joke. I, I say, I don't understand. I've just said. But I'm saying, if I see you, another preacher in a helicopter, I don't get jealous. I'm so comfortable because I know for what God has called him to do, he needs a helicopter. Me, for what God wants me to do, my bicycle is okay. When my assignment will require a helicopter, he'll give me. But for my assignment now, my border border is enough. <laughs> Am I making sense to someone here? So, don't go beyond your level of faith. Do what is within your level of faith. So don't come and say, I'm going to build a hotel like this one. <laughs> You'll chew your lips and finish them before you finish it. <laughs> Do what your faith is able to carry and be comfortable with it. And you know something? And glorify God in that place. Am I making sense to someone now tonight? So when you are different, what is the will of God? No, the kingdom of God is within you. And you know what God has called you to do by finding out? By the way, God says, Paul says, just operate at your level of faith. Be at peace with that. Philippians should not confuse you. Because in Philippians, I'm going quickly now because I just want to nail this down. I'm going back to Philippians again. chapter 4. This is a scripture many of you know. Verse 13. 
What does Philippians 4.13 say? Hmm? What does it say? I can do what? All things. Through what? So when God strengthens you, you can be a teacher. <laughs> Am I making sense now? He says, I can do how many things? All things. Not just preaching. Not just prophesying. Not just casting out devils. No. All things means all things. Including sweeping my house. Including working in a hospital. Including fixing someone else's car. It is all things. Christ can strengthen you to do all things. Understand the mission work. Get that paradigm shift. I'm in Colossians. You're telling me I'm nailing them down. I'm in Colossians now. Colossians bring, I like what the way Colossians puts it. Colossians chapter 3 verse 7. I'll pick it from verse 15. Colossians 3 verse, I'll pick it from verse 15. Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. See, this is the second way you know the will of God for your life. It's you're in a place where the peace of God rules in your heart. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Tomorrow I'll show you a third one. But let's just work on this as we conclude for my talk for tonight. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. Why is he saying in one body? Listen, in one body because we are members of one another. Paul, come on. You'll, you'll find Paul, when I pick Romans 12 tomorrow, you'll notice. Paul repeats again, for all of us are members of the body of Christ and members of one another. And not all of us have the same function. Romans 12 verse 5. Not all of us have the same function. One is a preacher, another one is a pastor. Right? I know. Another one is an evangelist, another one is a teacher, another one is a, an engineer, another one is a business person. Hello? All of us in the body do not have the same function. What I'm trying to tell you look, look at my physical body. I cannot come and tell any part of my body I don't need you. For me to stand before you and look presentable because all members of my bodies are there. Am I correct? Am I making sense? If I came here and maybe I was missing an arm, even as I'm teaching, your eyes will still be, she doesn't have an arm. One arm is missing. You'll be paying attention to the part of my body. But because I've got two hands, one head, two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, one mouth, come on, let's talk. Two legs and a torso. And inside the torso, the other vital, we call them vital. You don't see them, but they are important. Lungs, heart, kidneys, stomachs, come on, spleen, liver. See, some of you have vital organs in the body of Christ. You're not answering me here. I say you have vital organs in the body of Christ. You are our lungs. You are our kidneys. You are our heart. We just happen to be the mouth. Well, that's what, that's what the fivefold ministry is. Pro, prophet C. <laughs> so, so the eyes are the prophetic. Come on, don't keep quiet. The legs are the evangelistic. Come on, let's talk, let's talk to one another here. 
Are we together now? Your legs and hands are the evangelists because they go and they do. And the pastor is the preacher. Pastor teacher is the mouth. But you must all hear from God. But the rest of us, you know what? We are inside. But we have vital organs. When the stomach is aching, those legs are going nowhere. Help me here. Am I making sense? When you are not breathing well, those eyes are seeing nothing. <laughs> Am I making some sense here? So don't let anybody come and tell you, you know, no, the eyes are more important than the, than, than the heart. Is that a correct statement? Actually, you can do without some eyes, but you cannot do without a heart. Come on, tell your neighbor, for me, neighbor, you are a vital organ. As a teacher, as a nurse, as a businessman, as a businesswoman, come on, come on, talk to them. As an accountant, eh, you are a vital organ in the body of Christ. And no part of the body can tell the other one, I don't need you. So if preachers have been telling you, you know, uh, we are superior to you because you know what? I'm an apostle and you're just a businesswoman. Without your tithe, he's going nowhere. <laughs> Come on, don't keep quiet on me when I'm helping you here. Do you understand me now? Because there are some of you, I, I didn't have time to, to unpack Romans 12. There are some of you, the reason you're in the body of Christ is to make money. is to make and some of it to bring government and order so Philippians put it up there again as we close this in Philippians put this Philippians thing again is it on the Colossians sorry Colossians not Philippians Colossians Colossians 3 I'm sorry my brother whoever you are I'm confusing you so let me let me read from my Verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all what? Wisdom. Are you seeing that? Come on, Gonga, you are never telling a neighbor. Neighbor, allow the word of God to dwell in you richly, but in wisdom. Tell him, Watch a kumbaf. Don't be foolish. Praise the name of the Lord. When the word of God dwells in you, you get it dwells in you in all wisdom. Because when we don't apply the word of God in wisdom, we'll do stupid things like this. That religion I'm telling you in Kenya, you'll find them running on the road for three hours to have a service for one hour. It's like a marathon every Sunday morning. Mothers with children on their back there with their drum. You look at them and say, this is the word of God is dwelling in you, but no wisdom here. This is lack of wisdom. So as you go to your place of work, go in wisdom. Come on, don't keep quiet. Go in what? Go in wisdom. Don't go in foolishness. Hey, look at me. Even Esther, when she was going to appear before the king, the Bible says she put on her royal robes. And they're not just walking, she stood just at the she didn't just appear in a night dress. I want to make an impression on him. She had told Mordecai, for 30 days, the man has not even called me. <laughs> so let me go and make an impression on him. Or she put on her royal robes. It was wisdom. King reacted to wisdom, not foolishness. But let's finish this. 
go, go to verse 17. Go to verse 17. What does it say? No, it's all about And whatsoever you do, come on, look, tell your neighbor, and whatsoever you do. Eh? Whatever your career, whatever, am I even talking to someone now? And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in what? In the name of the Lord Jesus. Doing what? Giving thanks to God the Father by Him. Whatever you are doing, hallelujah. So don't start looking. This is this one thing. I'm looking for. No, no. Whatever you are doing, you're, you're not lost. You're not cast. You're not out of God's will. You have not missed the kingdom of God. No, whatever you do, Paul, whether it is in word or it is in deed, you do it in the name of the Lord. And God shall be glorified out of your life. Am I making sense to someone here? Am I making sense to someone here? Can I just give you one more and I get out of your way? Can I? Can I? The greatest apostle is called who? Hmm? Paul is the greatest apostle. And I agree with you. Go with me to Acts chapter 20. Let me show you something about Paul. He's the writer of all these things we are looking at here. Acts chapter 20. This is Paul giving a testimony before the, the Ephesian elders. He's giving them a charge. Verse 25, he says, And indeed, now I know that all among that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. No more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, as Paul had preached, eh? therefore he gives them a charge there, and he tells them the danger of what may come before them. 